Hey, I'm Olivia Covington, host of the Indiana Lawyer Podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to tell you about the newest podcast from IBJ Media called Off the Record with the Indiana 250. In each episode, IBJ Media CEO Nate Feltman talks with a different leader on the Indiana 250 list of the state's most influential leaders. They discuss their vision for Indiana's future, their experiences in business, and their advice for other aspiring entrepreneurs. New episodes are released on select Thursdays, so go subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Just search for Indiana 250 off the record. Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news in Hoosier Law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Olivia Covington, Indiana Lawyer Editor and your host this week. Thanks for joining us. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. It's almost that time of year again, time for the 2024 Indiana Legislative Session, that is. Lawmakers from both parties have already laid out their priorities for next year's General Assembly, so for this week's extended interview, I break down those priorities with Justin Swanson of Bose, McKinney, and Evans. But before we get to that, I'm here in our Monument Circle studio with Indiana Lawyer Managing Editor Daniel Carson to give you a rundown of this week's top legal news. It's Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, and these are your headlines. Let's start with a notable update about potential changes to the Indiana bar exam. The Indiana Supreme Court has released a proposal that would allow graduates of law schools that aren't accredited by the American Bar Association to sit for the Indiana bar exam. Under the proposed amendment to Admission and Discipline Rule 13, a graduate of a non-ABA accredited law school could take the Indiana bar in two situations. The first is if the applicant graduated from a non-ABA accredited school in the United States, was eligible to sit for the bar in another state, and the Board of Law Examiners determines the applicant is qualified by education or experience to take the Indiana bar. The second is if the applicant completed their legal education outside of the United States, obtained a graduate degree in American law from an ABA-approved school, and the BLE finds the applicant is qualified by education or experience to take the Indiana Bar. The proposal is notable because Purdue Global Law School, formerly known as Concord Law School, has been advocating for its graduates to be able to take the Hoosier Bar. The school isn't ABA accredited, and right now its graduates can only take the bar in California where the school is based. But groups including the Indiana State and Indianapolis Bar Associations have opposed allowing graduates of non-ABA accredited schools to take the Indiana Bar. The proposal is open to public comment through noon on December 15th. You can read it in full on our website. Just visit theindianalawyer.com and search bar exam. Now, let's shift gears to some news from the Attorney General's office. Daniel, I hear AG Todd Rakita has named a new Solicitor General. What can you tell us about that? Rakita is elevating James Barta to the state Solicitor General position, a move that makes Barta the second attorney in state history to serve in that role. Barta formerly served as the Deputy Solicitor General under Thomas M. Fisher, the state's first and longtime Solicitor General who is now with the group Ed Choice. As Solicitor General, Barta will oversee litigation involving constitutional challenges and other issues of vital interest to the state government, according to the AG's office. He is a 2010 graduate of Patrick Henry College in Virginia and a 2013 graduate of the Georgetown University Law Center, 
where he later taught constitutional theory as an adjunct. After law school, he clerked for Judge Stephen J. Murphy III of the Eastern District of Michigan, then for Judge Raymond M. Kethledge of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. He then worked in private practice in Washington, D.C. Barta returned to Indiana and became Deputy Solicitor General in April 2022. He has litigated cases in courts as high as the U.S. Supreme Court. And in Indiana, he has worked on cases involving sanctuary cities, absentee voting, and the requirement for sex offenders to register with the state. Describing Barta, Rakita said, quote, After a national search, we selected a Hoosier with top credentials and national experience to fill this important role. I know James Barta is the right choice for Indiana. James is not only brilliant, he is tenacious and excited to represent Hoosiers in this new role before the highest courts of the land, end quote. I also hear that Rakita now has his first potential competitor for his 2024 re-election campaign. Who's that? It's Destiny Wells, a Martinsville native who will make her second run at statewide office in 2024. According to the Indianapolis Business Journal, Wells has announced that she will seek the Indiana Democratic Party's nomination for attorney general in the 2024 primary election. Wells said her campaign would focus on protecting medical privacy, supporting workers' rights, and returning, quote, ethical standards, end quote, to the attorney general's office. After earning her law degree from the University of Texas, Wells briefly practiced in her hometown of Martinsville and founded a legal tech startup before getting deployed to Afghanistan in 2016, eventually earning the rank of U.S. Army Reserve Lieutenant Colonel. When she returned to Indiana, Wells worked as Associate Corporation Counsel for the City of Indianapolis and Marion County and as a Deputy Attorney General for Indiana under Curtis Hill. In 2022, Wells ran for Secretary of State. She advocated for removing restrictions on absentee mail-in voting and criticized her Republican opponent, Diego Morales, who faced accusations of sexual misconduct, voter fraud, and improper campaign spending during his campaign. But Morales defeated Wells and now serves as Indiana Secretary of State. Interesting. I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye on that race over the next year. In court news, President Joe Biden has announced two nominations to the Indiana Northern District Court. On November 15th, the Biden administration released its 42nd round of judicial nominations, which included St. Joseph Superior Judge Crystal C. Briscoe and Elkhart Superior Judge Gretchen S. Lund. If they are confirmed in the Senate, Briscoe and Lund will replace Northern District Judges Teresa Springman and John DiGiulio, who have each taken senior status. Briscoe currently sits on the bench in St. Joseph Superior Court 4. St. Joseph County selects its Superior Court judges via merit selection, so she was appointed to the bench in 2021. Before that, she had served as a magistrate judge in St. Joseph's Circuit Court since 2018. She's a 2006 graduate of Notre Dame Law School. Lund was elected to the Elkhart Superior Court in 2014 and took the bench in 2015. Before that, she had served as judge of the Goshen City Court since 2008. She's a 2001 graduate of Valparaiso University School of Law. Briscoe and Lund aren't the only Indiana jurists waiting for Senate confirmation. Joshua Kolar, currently a magistrate judge for the Northern District Court, is awaiting a final vote on his nomination to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And in the Southern District, Judge Jane Magnus Stinson has announced that she will take senior status in 2024, 
creating another Indiana vacancy. A nomination to replace her hasn't been announced. We'll keep an eye on all these vacancies and nominations and bring you updates as they happen. Speaking of courts, two former public officials in Indiana have recently found themselves on the defense side of things. First, former state representative Sean Eberhardt has agreed to plead guilty to a federal charge of conspiracy to commit honest services fraud. Court documents say that during the 2019 session of the Indiana General Assembly, Eberhardt used his position as a member of the House Committee on Public Policy to obtain favorable terms for spectacle entertainment, a gaming company that needed legislative approval to relocate two casinos. In exchange for his support, Eberhardt was offered a $350,000 position with the company. Eberhardt faces up to five years in prison, a $250,000 fine, and three years of supervised release, as well as an order to pay $60,000 in restitution. The Shelbyville Republican is no longer in office because he did not seek re-election in 2022. Meanwhile, in Clark County, former Sheriff Jamie Knoll was charged this month with 15 felonies alleging corrupt business influence, theft, ghost employment, official misconduct, and obstruction of justice. The case, filed in state court, alleges that Knoll had jail employees perform work on his personal property while they were on the clock. It also alleges that dozens of luxury vehicles were found on Knoll's property and were registered to entities such as volunteer fire departments in which Knoll was the registered agent. Knoll was arrested November 8th and posted bond the next day. His case is scheduled for a jury trial in May. And now to wrap up this week's headlines, Daniel, why don't you tell us about an eviction-related story you're working on for our next issue? As part of a December 7th event entitled Savvy Talks, Empowering Indiana Communities with Evictions and Foreclosure Data, the Polis Center in Indianapolis will showcase a new statewide tool being developed to help users better understand trends and relationships between evictions and societal factors. I'll take a look at that tool and how it will be used to raise awareness about evictions in Indiana. Thanks, Daniel. Listeners, you can read that story in our December 6th issue. All right, that'll do it for this week's headlines. As always, if you want the latest Indiana legal news, head over to theindianalawyer.com. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear my legislative preview with Justin Swanson. Taft, today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, welcome back to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, everyone. For this week's extended interview, I'm joined by Justin Swanson, a partner at Bose McKinney and Evans in Indianapolis and a principal at Bose Public Affairs Group. Justin, thanks for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Olivia. So Justin's been on the podcast before, but in case any of our listeners need a refresher, um, he chairs the Cannabis Practice Group at Bose McKinney, and he also has a government affairs practice. So we're going to chat a little bit about the upcoming legislative session, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're about a month out from the start of that. So, Justin, I'd like to talk about what we can expect and also not expect from lawmakers next year. And I want to start with the latter because it is a short session, right? It's a it's a non-budget year. 
And state house leaders have already said, you know, they expect it to be less aggressive was the term they used. You know, in the past few years, they've had abortion, LGBTQ rights, education. But this year, lawmakers say it's going to be more about fine tuning laws rather than overhauling them. So, you know, based on what we've seen in past short sessions, should we expect lawmakers to kind of stick to that plan or should do we think something, you know, more controversial could could pop up in there? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, I think only time uh, will be able to answer that question for us. But Olivia, you're you're absolutely right. It's, it's a non-budget year. And um, I think the, the speaker's been uh, pretty vocal about uh, the desire to try to get back to really the roots of uh, these, uh, quote, short sessions, which were really designed to be emergency sessions uh, to kind of fix laws that were passed during the budget year. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that's the narrative uh, in both the House and the Senate chambers. And you know, in the Senate in particular, um, kind of followed through on this narrative. Uh, they, they passed a motion on org day last Tuesday that limits the number of bills senators can file to five down from 10. And then Speaker Houston mentioned from the rostrum on org day that, you know, they're not, as a caucus, aren't going to have typically as many uh, caucus initiatives as they may have had in the past. So I think you're seeing the leaders kind of demonstrate that, they, you know, they're also acting on the narrative as well. Are Democrats on board with that as well? Uh, they, they're they're adopted, so yeah, I think that's you know I don't know if they had much in a say in the in sure. the process or not, but um, I, I think in generally everyone's you know makes legislators in particular kind of refocus what's uh, what their priority is going to be as well by having a you know limited uh, bill slide slots. So during Org Day last week, like you mentioned, Speaker Houston and Senate President Pro Tem Rod Bray said their caucuses are going to focus on reading proficiency, particularly among Indiana's third graders. That's a group of students who take a, a test to kind of gauge reading proficiency. And there was, you know, some talk of, are we letting students move on to fourth grade too quickly? Should we be doing more on reading proficiency? So that's kind of their focus. So, you know, why do you think that's the issue they've chosen to focus on? Is that something that we've seen come up in the past? Well, I think it's, it's you know, last session in particular uh, was a focus on the science of reading and uh, making sure, uh, you know, our standards are, are meeting the needs to make sure, you know, our students can read by third grade. So I think it's a continuation of that um, discussion all last budget cycle. You know, but it's also interesting as well. You know, my understanding is, you know, this was a policy when I read first came out was, was trying to use that test to dictate uh, whether a student could move on or not. So, I think one, it's a, you know, everyone, it's an issue that everybody, it's a bipartisan issue. I think everybody agrees in general. Uh, we want our third graders being able to read. Uh, the question sure. is, you know, how, how do we get there and how do we improve uh, uh, the current status quo? Right. And yeah, that was going to be my next question relatedly is what exactly is the legislative proposal? You know, do they want to pass a bill that says we're going to study this issue more or, or what are we seeing early on? I haven't seen uh, any any bill drafts or anything, so uh, okay. pure speculation. But I th I think some of the discussion is, you know, do we need to be uh, have a tough discussion with parents and and really kind of mandate uh, the retention of third graders if they're not hitting certain metrics? And I think that's going to be an interesting discussion because there you're balancing, you know, parent choice and and parent responsibility over their student versus you know, a school district telling them uh, what they need to be doing. So I think it'll be a really uh, interesting discussion as it moves through the legislative process. Did we get any reaction from Democrat leaders on, you know, whether or not they're in favor of focusing on this or whether they think focus should be elsewhere? Well, just to keep in mind, Org Day is, a, you know, it is the, you know, official start of the 24th session, but a lot of these ideas and the details are being ironed out. 
with LSA and staff. So I'm not sure we got an immediate reaction to it because they were just kind of general high-level talking points. Uh, that again, I think no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, you're going to agree that we want to have our kids, um, you know, reading by by third grade. Right, right. So another issue that Republican leaders say they want to focus on is a bill defining anti-Semitism, which, you know, obviously that's very relevant right now. I think maybe this has come up before, but hasn't quite made it across the finish line. So, so what should we know about that? Speaker Houston did uh, mention that from the rostrum as well on org day. Representative uh, Chris Cheater um, out of the Fishers area carried that bill and it passed the House uh, and then it did not cross the, you know, make it across the finish line to become law. So it's definitely a renewed effort and in, in having, uh, again, having a, the Speaker of the House uh, mention it by name, I think demonstrates it as a priority for uh, uh, him in the caucus. I did not uh, follow that bill too closely last session, so I unfortunately can't provide a whole lot of insight on uh, kind of what the what the concerns were in the Senate not to uh, not to move the bill. Sure. Did President Pro Tem Bray say anything in response to Speaker Houston bringing this up again? You know, did he make any commitments uh, one way or the other? Uh, n- not to my knowledge, and you know, keep in mind they're both kind of going almost simultane- simultaneously. Sure. Uh, when they're in session, so it's um, they typically don't kind of have an immediate response like that back and forth. Right. Right. So what about Democrats? What did they lay out for us on Org Day? Uh, Leader Taylor uh, in the Senate out of Indianapolis has been uh, pretty vocal on uh, his continued efforts to, uh, I think in his words, provide voters uh, more of a choice on the policy directions uh, that Indiana takes. Um, So specifically, he's, uh, I think, going to offer legislation to uh, allow referendums to take place in the state on certain policy issues. That's an idea uh, and a policy issue I think he's uh, advocated for uh, for a number of years. So picking up on the idea of a a referendum, and this is maybe tangentially related, but, you know, I'm sure you get asked all the time about marijuana. And, you know, we've seen marijuana referendum, Ohio passed its marijuana bill on a citizen-led ballot initiative. So, you know, Indiana has kind of held out among its surrounding states. You know, what are the prospects for any sort of marijuana reform in the state, do you think? So, yeah, just to maybe uh, provide some context to that, uh, Olivia, I think we've had four. 14 states uh, have used the referendum path to push forward uh, cannabis reform efforts. So uh, it's definitely not a uh, uncommon occurrence. 14 uh, is a pretty good number. Yeah. Uh, we did have a, the, the General Assembly did look at uh, cannabis reform efforts from the lens of the impact on uh, inappropriate youth consumption and also uh, the impact on employers. Uh, you know, two very important policy discussions you need to have. I think the hearing went well in particular. I think It was really good for the committee to hear the uh, fire chief from the White River Township Fire Department in Johnson County came and testified and talked about um, updating their drug testing policies to allow his employees to consume products like full spectrum CBD and Delta 8 THC products um, Mm -hmm. and really just came came and testified and provided, you know, his his perspective on the fact that, you know, he views that his employees and the feedback he's getting from his employees their quality of life is improving because they're getting, you know, choice uh, on the wellness marketplace. That being said, Olivia, long answer, but I mean, tw- 24, like we talked about, is a short session, um, and you know, cannabis reform is a is a big bite out of the apple. So I'm not, I don't think many people are anticipating much movement on that uh, on full cannabis reform during the 24 session. But uh, I think the, you know, whoever's governor in uh, 2025, I think that momentum will uh, will pick up steam quite a bit. And what about abortion. 
you know, we, we've talked about that for the last several sessions. You know, we had the Dobbs decision, then we had Indiana passing Senate Bill 1, and, you know, that's been litigated, and, and it's still being litigated, but the Indiana has, Supreme Court has upheld the constitutionality of that law. So, I mean, is there any appetite, really, to revisit abortion, or is that issue kind of set aside for now? So, I mean, you know, one, I think uh, the legislatures have have had plenty of uh, special sessions. So I think uh, that certainly is, (laughs) I think that's not uh, high on their priority list. But look, at the end of the day, that's a a policy issue where um, I think the bill that passed, you know, everyone was a little bit unhappy with in some form or fashion. Sure. Uh, And I'm not sure there's going to be much of an appetite uh, during the short session to, you know, revisit those issues. I'm sure, you know, there's legislators on both sides of that issue that would like to, but I'm not sure there's going to be much of an appetite uh, from the whole uh, institution to address it. Well, of course, you know, all the issues we've talked about are kind of the the big ones, but anything lesser known or maybe not as high profile that, you know, you've heard about might be popping up? So we, uh, you know, I think on the on the cannabis side, uh, in particular, uh, really the hemp market or hemp-derived cannabinoid market, you know, I think there's going to be some momentum to, to provide uh, uh, proper regulations around our existing marketplace there. For example, you, you can walk into an Indiana retailer right now and buy a, a Delta 9 or Delta 8 THC product with no age restrictions. So you could be, you know, potentially a 14-year-old going in consuming those products. So I think, you know, while it's not a full cannabis reform effort, I think it, uh, you know, that might be a discussion that both chambers might have an appetite to address in some form or uh, fashion. Sure. Um, and then uh, I think to Olivia, sorry uh, to interrupt, uh, uh, you know, water, I think in general is going to be a hot topic as well uh, for next session. Um, I think everyone's understanding how important it is uh, to attract industry to have uh, water supply. And uh, I think that'll come up, at least get filed. I'm not sure if it'll move, but I think that'll be a hot topic as well. Right. Yeah, I've heard of that too. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's extended interview. Justin, thanks again for chatting with us. Anytime, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And listeners, be sure to check back with the IndianaLawyer.com throughout the upcoming session for our coverage of all of these issues and I'm sure more. And as always, if you want to hear our previous extended interviews, visit our website or find us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time.